The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. Well, hello. Welcome to Tower of Baptist Church. My name is Darren Smith, and we are recording this sermon today a little bit differently. We're going live a few days before Sunday in order for us to get the recording. We've had some trouble uh, with other recordings. We're going to try this today. So we're going to post this on Sunday. If you're watching this on Sunday, you're going to get this both times, and that's okay. Welcome. My name is Darren Smith. It is a privilege to have you with us. We are here at Tower View Baptist Church in the north land of Kansas City, across from the world to fund water tower, and we are here today to honor God. We're in the summer of Psalms, the summer of Psalms, today with a three-verse psalm, literally one sermon point per verse. Uh, you're welcome and thank you so much. If you're a Tower View member, uh, I just want to remind you this Sunday, uh, we are meeting in person, so thank you so much for that. If you're, if you're a visitor, if you're just popping in, or if you're not a Christian, we especially want to say thank you, and we look forward to uh, conversing with you uh, after this message. But we God opens your eyes and your ears to hear the, the Word of God today. Let me read the scripture, we're going to pray, and we'll get into the sermon from there. Thank you for joining us. Psalm 131 says this, it says, A song of ascents of David. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up, David says, and my eyes are not raised too high. I don't occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul, like a weaned child with his mother. Yes, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, verse 3, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Psalm 131, Summer Psalms as we study God's Word today. Let's pray together. Thank you for joining us. We're going to get into this, and we pray God uses this in a way to honor Him, encourage, edify, especially if you're not a Christian, for you to hear the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, very abundantly clear. Let's pray today. Father, thank you so much for this time we have. Thank you for the opportunity to be here today. Father, thank you for our, our fellow Pastor Nelson, who's helping behind the scenes, no one can see, helping to get this going. Father, for all those who may be in earshot, for all those who may be digitally in an earshot, Father, would you use this to honor you, draw people to Christ, grow people closer to Christ, may people be saved through Christ alone by your Spirit, Father, as we go forth. We pray all this today in Jesus' name. Well, we should mind the little things, I think, in life, little courtesies in life, little privileges, little personal appearance, little extravagances, little minutes of wasted time, little details of our work. The small things matter. And it seems that a thing cannot be too small to command our attention. I mean, you think about a Newton who had, who had leading to most of his important discoveries was derived from looking at a child's soap bubble as he's giving his child a bath. Or the art of printing was suggested by a man in the 14th century cutting letters in the bark of a tree. Or the telescope was the outcome of a boy's amusement putting the tube and glasses in his father's shop in front of his eyes. Or Goodyear, the, the, the tire man, neglected his skillet until it was red hot and accidentally guided him to the manufacture of what we now know as vulcanized rubber. Or Henry Ford's idea about a perfect watch plant gave them a plan for what we now know as a giant motor industry, and our church is very close to the Ford plant here in Kansas City. Or one of my favorites, J.L. Crafts idea, put cheese 
in a sanitary package was the start of what we now know as craft cheese. Little things, every one a little things. Yet how important they prove to be of a man who can take such a little thing or a woman and turn it into something big. And such is Psalm 131, what we're looking at today. Great things come in small packages. And as Christians, we remember that the Christian life is not filled with many great things, but rather many small things that add up to something great. And this psalm we're looking at, Psalm 131, is, is packed with punch. It's a short ladder that leads to great heights. But the way up is not easy. Montgomery Boyce commentated this way. He said it's an easy psalm with a hard lesson. But is this Christian life so simple as the psalm makes it to be? Hey, but isn't this what the scripture says? Proverbs 3 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. Acknowledge Him in all ways, and He will make your paths straight. Friends, sometimes the smallest things are the most neglected things. The Christian life is not filled with many great things, but rather many small things that add up to something great. And how easy it is to forget the majors for the minors, so to speak. And so today I want to talk about something very easy. This psalm talks about simple-minded trust. Not that we're simple-minded people, although most of us are, including myself. Nelson's not, he's smart, I'm not. But simple-mindedness. Do you understand how easy it is to forget the small thing of simply trusting the Lord? And so sometimes obedience doesn't make sense to us. But do we trust that Christ is enough to do what he says? And that's where the big idea comes today. It's simply this. It's that simple-minded trust in a big God beats big-minded thoughts of a small God every single time. Simple-minded trust in a big God beats big-minded thoughts of a small God every single time. Look, God demands childlike faith, and God despises childish faith. Once you are born into the family of God through Jesus Christ, God has a plan for your life. And God the Father wants his children to grow up, to get out of the milk stage, what Hebrews says, or Peter says, and into the meat stage. But how does faith grow up? Well, Psalm 131 teaches us that the small things like trust grow, up, grow us up when we learn to trust like a child does his parents. So in Psalm 131, we're going to see three marks of a simple-minded trust in God. The first is humility. We're going to have humility before God, verse 1. Hush before God, verse 2, and hope before God, verse 3. Three marks of simple-minded biblical trust in our God. Look, Psalm 131 is of David. It's a song of ascent. We were here last week uh, in Psalm 126. These songs of ascent were ones they would sing as they walk up to Jerusalem during the holy days. But we don't know really what this is about the song. We don't know the story behind it, but it shouldn't hinder our ability to understand it. It only makes the point of the psalm all the more unavoidable. And that is simply that all of us, including us pastors, have a lot of growing up to do. Therefore, we need to show forth the marks of simple-minded faith. Well, the first mark of simple-minded faith is there in verse 1. It's humility before God. Humility before God. And in your scripture, you see in Psalm 131 that, that verse 1 is really about 12 words. It may very a little bit based on versions. But it says again, O Lord... My heart is not lifted up, my eyes are not raised too high, and I don't occupy myself with these. <coughs> in the Hebrew, there are only 12 words, but these are words. And the audience that David is speaking to is not you or me, it once again is the Lord. 
But this verse would have a totally different feel if David were talking to people or worse, talking to himself. This is because humility is an elusive virtue. It's something that we don't have in these days. The moment you know you have humility is the moment you lost it. It's like that guy, that old proverbial story. He was voted the most humble man at his local church. And he got up to say something about how he wasn't proud. And in that moment, he lost his medal that he just collected. But David is not guilty of false humility. He's not there to exalt himself before others. This is a public statement that comes from a private conversation. David is not on stage playing to the crowd. Rather, he's in his closet, his prayer closet, if you will, praying to the Lord. And the Lord leads to us these secret utterances that denounce pride. Look, humility should not be viewed as some exceptional virtue. Humility is Christianity 101. It's the mark of the first trust, simple-minded trust in God. And so a proud Christian is a contradiction in terms. If, if, if one is proud, he's not really showing forth Christ's likeness. If he is a Christian, he is not proud. Because the only way he can boast is what Galatians 6.14 says, is to boast in the gospel or the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so here we have this humility, this first mark in verse 1 of what it means to have a simple trust in God. And he gives us three negative things here. He's going he's to denounce pride three ways. And the first thing he tells us is that a proud attitude is rooted in the heart. Did you see that? Verse 1, he says, O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. Here the heart is a metaphor for the person. It's the attributes of the person, the mind, um, the will, the emotions, everything about that person. It's what Proverbs 4.23 says. It says, keep your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. All that you are, friend, all that you say, all that you do, all that you think, all that you feel flows from what is in your heart. So it's no surprise that David begins with throwing away pride with a statement about the condition of his heart. He says, Lord, my heart is not lifted up high. See, the uplifted heart is an idiom for pride. To us, a heart is, that is up is, is happy, and a heart that is down is sad. We have emojis for that. We have little icons for that on our phones. But in Scripture, a heart that is lifted up is a symbol of pride. It's what, it's what Satan did in Isaiah 14 when he lifted himself up to try to ascend to the throne to where God was. It means you have a high opinion of yourself. 2 Chronicles 26 records the story of Uzzah. Uh, the successful king who was marvelously helped by God. He literally became strong because he followed God. He had a simple-minded trust in God. He trusted God with everything. But the moment he did something God did not want him to do, God brought him low with leprosy, and he was banished from the kingdom that he built. So if we're going to have a simple-minded trust in God, if we're going to have a, a trust that is there and, and sees him as he is, we have to say, Lord, my heart is not lifted up. We need to humble our hearts. But secondly, he says that we need to humble our eyes. We need to humble our eyes. He says in verse 1, he says, Oh, in my heart, but my eyes are not raised too high either. The second denial is wedded to the first. David testifies to where his heart's at. It's not lifted up. Then he testifies to where his eyes are. They're not lifted up. They go together. They're wet. And the same pride that hardens the heart also blurs the vision of our spiritual eyes. Sinful pride in the heart becomes, uh, it becomes something that takes away the focus of where we should be. Psalm 121, verse 1, those famous words the psalmist said, I lift up my eyes to the hills. As, as those people were walking up the hills to Jerusalem, there were dangers, toils, and snares. 
as the old hymn says. But the pilgrim of Psalm 121 wasn't looking around at those. He was looking above the hills to the sovereign Lord. And as he looked to the Lord, he had nothing but humility because he was not God and God was God. And so this is not what David means in our text when he speaks of eyes being raised. That's another expression of pride. It's what Proverbs 6.17 says, where they have haughty eyes, H-A-U-G-H-T-Y, which is an abomination to God. God hates the look that pride brings. And so he says you must humble your attitude, and it starts by humbling your heart and humbling your eyes. To announce pride, you must humble your attitude. But he also says in verse 2 that, 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 that we here are to humble our ambitions. We're to humble our ambitions. Did you see that there? He goes on and he says we're to humble our ambitions. As you look back at verse, uh, excuse me, verse 1, he says, I don't occupy myself with things too great or too marvelous for me. David's first two denials address the sin of pride. But now his third denial, verse 1, addresses the sin of presumption. Look, some things are great. Some things are marvelous. Some things are so great and marvelous, they can overwhelm us. But David did not occupy himself with things too great and too marvelous for himself. In other words, David did not play God. David did not play pin the tail on the Antichrist, as some people are doing. David did not play, oh, well, this must be happening in our world today because this happened over here in this way. David didn't go there. He accepted that God is God and he is not. And he said, God, I don't get it, but I'm going to trust you. Just like as a child, I didn't understand everything my parents did, but I know they had my best interest at heart. So too, Lord, I'm going to trust whatever you bring, however you dish it out, I'm going to trust and hang on. And the difference between God and us is that God never thinks he is us. David knew what he was, and he knew what he wasn't. And he adjusted his ambitions accordingly, and that is how he was able to have that simple-minded humility as he trusted in the Lord. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says this. It says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God. But the things that are revealed along, revealed rather belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of the law. Look, there are things in God's secret files that are literally marked top secret. There are rooms over which God hangs a big placard that says private. And there are conversations that God has or things he knows that, as you would say to someone else, it ain't none of your business. Christian, in these days of COVID, in these times where it's so easy to be puffed up because we know the right thing, and, you know, if I were in their shoes, we'd do that. If I was leading the country, I'd do this. It, it, you know, fill the blank of whatever you would do to make things better. You may be right, but David did not presume. David humbled his heart, he humbled his attitude, he humbled his eyes, he humbled his ambitions, and he showed his trust was in the Lord. Doesn't mean David was passive. It doesn't mean David just let life float in front of him, but it does mean, it does mean that he was willing to say, before I can acknowledge God, I must know that he really is in control. He is the only one. And what David would say to us today is that grown-up faith does not occupy itself with things that are too great and too marvelous. Look, we need to study God's Word. We need to be in the Word. We can have debates about certain passages and all those things. But at the end of the day, are we marked with humility? Are we marked with a sudden uh, pridelessness that comes from simply loving God for who He is? doesn't mean we should stop. A kid doesn't stop asking questions, do they? We're in that stage of life at home. 
We ask them to do things, but they still ask a million questions, sometimes annoyingly. Sometimes, you know, there's times to answer those questions. Every parent knows that dynamic. But grown-up faith trusts that God has everything under control, even when we don't understand. Friend, are you marked by humility? Is your trust in God marked by humility? Simple-minded trust starts with humility, verse 1. But notice, secondly, humility before God, but secondly, there's a hush, a simple-minded hush before God. Look back at verse 2 as you have your scripture there. It says this. It says, But I, David speaking, have calmed and quieted my soul. Like a weaned child with his mother, yes, like a weaned child is my soul within me. In verse 1, David made three great denials. In verse 2, he makes one big affirmation. Verse 1 is a confession of humility. Verse 2 is a quietness, a, a hush of contentment. To be humble is to have a proper perspective about yourself. To be content is to have a proper perspective about everything going on around you, your circumstances. But immature faith, not grown-up faith, is marked by unhealthy preoccupation with the circumstances of life. Well, COVID over here, election over here, uh, sports over here, schools not opening, all important things. But what David says is that when faith grows up, when it's marked by a simple-minded hush, a simple-minded trust, a simple-minded humility, you learn how to live in spite of your days. And that's why he says, in the first one, verse 2, we need to learn how to relate to ourselves. He says, I've calmed and quieted my soul. There's a hush. A lot of us don't live in a hush world anymore. Our phones are always around. There's something on. There's music playing. The TV's on. There's traffic. There's people outside. But David says, a hush is a trust in the Lord. There was a time when David's soul was restless. There was a time when he did not live with confidence before the Lord. That soul that he had was neither calm nor quiet or hushed. And this can be true of believers or unbelievers. But we have to ask that question. How can the soul be calm and quiet if it doesn't know the Creator within it? Well, the soul cannot be calm or quiet without God. We can't be hushed without God. And God, David acknowledges this. But his circumstances may have been peaceful, but his soul was restless. But then his soul became quiet. Well, how did this change take place? Well, he says, I've calmed and quieted my soul. I've learned how to keep it hush. But like Paul, and I'm going to quote Philippians 4, 11 through 12, also this. He said, not that I'm speaking of being in need. For I've learned in every situation to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty of hunger and abundance and need. And so when David prays here that a mark of simple-minded trust is a hush before the Lord, what he's really saying is he's learned to be content. He's learned to be okay with life around him. He, this is not to say that he doesn't try to better himself. This is not to say that David didn't, didn't get to know the Lord deeper. This is not to say that David was just an autopilot for the rest of his life. But he is saying that as he had a simple-minded hush, a simple-minded quietness before the Lord, his circumstances did not teach him to be content. He did not learn it from other people. He doesn't even say the Lord taught him. He just simply says, I've calmed and quieted my soul. David, by the Lord's grace, was a self-taught man when it came to contentment. He had calmed and quieted his soul. At some point, he had to look within himself 
And this is not Dr. Phil talk. This is biblical talk. He had to look within himself and say, be quiet, sit down, stop acting out, and have some holy self-control, David. And Lord, help me do all those things. See, to grow up in the faith, you must teach your soul to behave. 1 Corinthians 13, 11, that famous quote says, When I was a child, I spoke like a child. When I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. But Paul says, When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. Friend, that is the key to simple-minded trust. You must give up your childish ways. How? You must give up your childish ways, your speech, your relationships, your habits, your pursuits. It was kind of like that little boy who played with an expensive vase. He should not have been touching, and his hand became stuck inside. His father saw it, and he determined to free his hands, his son's hands, without ruining the vase and getting in trouble with mom and his wife. And his father said to his son, when I count to three, I want you to, pull, to open your hand real wide and pull it out. And the boy said, Dad, if I open my hand, I'm going to drop all the quarters that are inside. <laughs> Look, you cannot ask God to set you free if you're holding on to the things that you're bound to. And so David says, he looks at the Lord and says, God, I had to learn in all the noise of this world to hush my soul. Friends, I'm going to say it again. That is not, that is not Joel Osteen garbage. That's not Dr. Phil sickness. That is biblical talk. There is a point where David said to his soul, shh, be quiet, be content. The Lord's got this. He says he's got it. And he rested there. But not only did he hush his soul in this, and he learned how to relate to himself, he also learned how to relate to his soul. Did you notice the end of verse 2? It, it goes from, from a description, or what happened to a description. And it says, he was weaned like a child with its mother. You know, the weaning of a child is a process of removing the child from dependence on the mother's milk to sustenance through other foods. It's, it, this would usually take place in Hebrew culture from my study at about age three or four. Especially at that age, it probably wasn't a very easy process. That's all the child is known is, is consumption of, of, of liquid mainly through his mother or her mother. So the child responds to weaning like most children do in that period. They resist, they struggle, they fight back. The child doesn't know what it's like not to have that there. But it does not know what is best. The child doesn't know that. But the wise mother continues the process despite the cold stares, loud screams, temper tantrums, and certainly violent struggles. And this is, I'm going to say something to you, church. I want you to think about this for a second. We know that God is spirit. John 4, 24, those who worship God worship him in spirit and in truth. Throughout the scripture, God reveals himself mainly, primarily depicted as a father. The Lord Jesus Christ instructed his disciples to, to excuse me, address God as our father who, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Yet there are places in Scripture where we see that God's care for us is maternal as well as paternal. Isaiah 49, 15 and 16 says this, Can a woman forgive her nursing child that she has no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, Lord speaking, yet I, the Lord, will not forget you. Behold, I am engraving you in the palms of my hand, and your walls are continually before me. Look, what David is saying is as he hushes himself in trust before the Lord, God is like a mother who never forgets her children. You are always on God's mind, Christian, as he accomplishes his work in the world. 
And so again, anyone who's been raised by a good mother knows she withholds what is best and forces you to take uh, what you want, rather, and forces you to, to do what is best. So it is with God. There are times Christians aren't there, and it's unpleasant and necessary in our spiritual growth where God does that. One of the most important times in our spiritual growth is when God removes something from us so we can grow closer to Him. We can relate closer to Him. And to become content with God, you must accept the loss of what is important to you. Let's be honest, we hate losing things. We hate when our sports teams lose. We hate when we lose our keys. We hate all sorts of things. We hate losing things because it robs us of the enjoyment of what we do while we have those things. And so from God's perspective, what David is saying is this. is that the loss of things is filled with purpose. This doesn't mean God is unloving or uncaring, but the weaning process hurts the mother more than it does the child. I think any mom would agree with that, right? But the mother knows what the child does not. This must happen for you to grow. And so, friend, David says, I've calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with his mother. David speaks of a process as complete. He says the child is with his mother. The boy no longer climbs up on his mother's lap and takes of sustenance that way. He climbs on to his mother's lap because he simply wants her presence. And this is God's will for your development. As you hush your soul before him, you are learning not only to stop to yourself biblically, but you're learning to put yourself before the Lord like a child does its mother. And God wants you to grow up so you no longer can come to Him. You know, it's like that story about a little girl who could not go to sleep without sitting in her mom's arms, listening to her read a story. But well, the mom wanted to get the, the bedroom team down to something different, so she recorded herself. You know, maybe she took out her famous app and recorded herself reading a series of books. And when she put her daughter to bed at night, she tucked her in and, and, and put play on, on the recording. And it worked for a couple nights. The daughter was quite amused at what was going on. But eventually her daughter insisted that her mother read the books to her. I mean, come on, Mom, I don't want to listen to a recording. I want you, after all. And so she said, I just want to push play and, and listen to you. Uh, you need to just listen as I push play. And the girl said, I know, Mom, but the tape recorder can't hold me as it reads. Friends, this is the attitude of grown-up faith. It's content in whatever circumstance it finds itself. There's a hush over that faith. And it only wants to be in the arms of the Lord. Christian, are you content to know God more than you are to get out of your circumstances? Are you content to be where God has you, even if things didn't work out the way that you wanted them to work out? You know, many of you know this in our church. This last Saturday, this past week, I spent uh, months of training trying to qualify once again for the Boston Marathon, which is a whole thing in itself was well-trained, well-hydrated, and the morning of the race, last Saturday, the rains came, delayed the start two hours, the sun came out, it got hot, everything I'd done in training just seemed to go out the window, and I, I literally took my pride with me as I walked and ran to the, the end, in my slowest marathon, marathon time ever, I do believe. But one thing it taught me was this, is that there are times where God will remove something from you so that you can be closer to him. And even a few days on from that, I can say that has happened in my faith. Friend, there needs to be a hush of simple-mindedness, of trust that you have before the Lord. There needs to be humility. But finally, the last point here, there needs to be hope before the Lord. Hope before the Lord. Look at Psalm 131 and verse 3. Psalm 131 and verse 3. The last verse. 
David says this. He's speaking now to the congregation. He says, Oh, Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forevermore. Kind of is an abrupt transition. I mean, David's been talking about soul. He's been, he's been privately speaking to the Lord. And now the, these words shift from testimony to exhortation, kind of like we're doing right now. In verses 1 to 2, David is speaking to himself. But now in verse 3, David speaks to the congregation and calls the people with the same confidence he has learned in the Lord. You know, Psalm 130 and 131 end on the same note, so to speak. But their melodies are very, very different. In fact, in Psalm 130, verse 7, the psalm says for Israel to hope in the Lord, but the context is different. Psalm 130 says it's a personal testimony being delivered from sin. But Psalm 131 does not exhort Israel to hope in the Lord to experience deliverance from sin. Rather, they're to hope in the Lord to experience true satisfaction in life. And so now David tells these folks they need to have hope in the Lord. And they need to expect that God will take care of them today and tomorrow. And that's the first way you hope in the Lord. God will take care of you today. And hope, though, is not wishful thinking. I just want to point that out. Hope is not wishful thinking. We hope that things happen, especially during this COVID period. But it is a joyful anticipation, if you're a Christian, of what the Lord will do based on His promises. Hope is not, I, I really hope that it works out. Hope is a steadfast trust. We do not hope that Jesus will return one day. We know He will, and therefore we hope. Romans 5, 3-5 says, More than this, we rejoice in our sufferings, Knowing suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Friends, that is Christian hope. Whatever you face today, whatever you're facing in this moment, God has everything under control. You can trust Him in humility. You can trust Him with a hush, but now before Him with hope. Because Jesus Christ, Hebrews 13.8, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We have hope. And Jesus is the God of the present situation, of the past, and of prophecy. And Christian, let me just remind you that Jesus can forgive your sins today. He can forgive your ways, your body. He can heal your body. He can meet your needs. He can take care of you. That is the God that He is today. He can fix your family. And look, if you're not a Christian and you're watching this, I just want to remind you that, that, that when David says, Oh Israel, hope in the Lord, non-Christian friends, so grateful you're here today, you can have hope in the Lord today as well. The hope in the Lord is that Jesus Christ, God's Son, came to this world. He lives a life perfectly. He died on a cross and took the punishment you deserve. He, he, he literally absorbed God's wrath on your behalf. And he was buried, and he rose again from the dead, literally, bodily, physically, so that all who place their trust in him and turn and repent from their sins can have eternal life. That is the hope that you can have today. And if you're not a Christian, I just want to encourage you, drop us a message down below in the comments. Message us, text us, get a hold of us. We'd love to talk with you. We want to do that as well. May, may God be glorified, but, but no. Expect the Lord will take care of you today. Hope in him. But he goes on to say, not only should we expect the Lord to take care of us today, but also tomorrow. Look at the end of verse 3. He says, O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Christian, you can hope in the Lord whatever happens today, but you also have hope in the Lord forevermore. 
First Corinthians 15, 19, Paul says, If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are all of people to be pitied. Christian, you do not need to be pitied. You do not need to be miserable. And you do not need to be without hope. As sure as God raised His one and only Son from the grave some 2,000 years ago, we can trust that God will take care of our tomorrow, whatever it may be. The past warrants such confidence, the present demands it, and the future will justify it because God is able to do all those things for His glory. Church Tower View, let me just speak to you for a second. There are questions ahead of us about how do we reach people, how do we, how do, we do ministry in these times, how do we gather in these times. So grateful we've been stable in a lot of that. But as we have more family conversations about those things in the month and more, uh, the months ahead and more, we need to remember to hope in the Lord now and forevermore. He is with us. He will be there for us. He will guide us along the way. And we need to have a simple-minded humility, a simple-minded hush, and here finally that simple-minded hope. And as we do those things, as we seek the Lord in these things, we will do what that big idea said. We will have and we will do all that God wants us to do. Because remember, a simple-minded trust in a big God beats as big-minded big thoughts of a small God every single time. You can think big thoughts about God. But if you don't have a simple humility, a simple hush, and a simple hope in who he really is, then it really doesn't matter. Christian, I pray today that you look over Psalm 131. It's three verses. It literally will take you a minute or less to read it. Think about it. Pray over it. May God be glorified through it. Let's pray together. We'll close today. Thank you for joining us. We'll, we'll end today, and we appreciate you joining us. Let's pray as we do. Father, as we close today, we are so grateful for these things. Father, give us a simple-minded humility. Give us a simple-minded hush. Father, give us a simple-minded hope in you. Father, not simple-minded that, that we're, that we're uh, you know, Lord, we're not able to think for ourselves. We're not able to do things. Father, we just acknowledge with even the, even the blessings that you've given us that everything we are is to be before you. So, Father, we ask that. You guide us in these things, especially praying for those who do not know Jesus Christ. Father, speak to them, use them, and Father, would you be glorified through them. Thank you so much. We pray all this today in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, thank you so much for joining us again. My name is Darren Smith. We're at Tower View Baptist Church, towerviewkc.com. If you're not a Christian or if you are and you'd love to connect with us, please put a comment below or message our page. We'll be back to you as soon as we can. Guys, we love you. We're praying for you. We're so grateful for you. Thank you so much. Guys, have a great day, and God bless. Bye-bye.